Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Burdick, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, May 25th. This Monday is Memorial Day. Please remember all those who made the ultimate sacrifice in service to our country. And that includes members of the Capitol Police who defended the Capitol during an attempted violent overthrow of our government orchestrated by a former president. Yet he inexplicably walks free. So what's our government done for us lately? Well, an agency of the executive branch of the government is trying to protect us from higher health care prices and protect the privacy of our personal health information. I'm talking about the Federal Trade Commission and two recent moves by the FTC to help us poor health care consumers. To tell us whether these moves are on or off target are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? Julie and I are actually in the same city today, the great city of Seattle. The weather's fantastic. We got to see each other yesterday. What Life is good. What could be better? Yeah. Sorry I missed the party. Thanks, Dave. Julie, how are you? I'm well. It was great to see Dave. Our weather is amazing, just for the weekly update. And I, you know, for those of us who are parents, understand that for teachers, May is the 100 days of May. But for us, it's the shocking reality that summer is here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I couldn't agree more. Now, before we talk about what the FTC is up to, let's talk about your weekend plans. Dave, anything special planned for Memorial Day? Well, uh, I love that quote, the shocking reality that summer is here. And and for us, that means the Wiggums Parade. I've mentioned it before. The Wellington Oakdale Old Glory Marching Society been marching in our neighborhood since the 60s. Wellington and Oakdale are streets just south of us. Wiggums Alley is where the parade begins. Everybody marches. Nobody watches. We end at St. Joe's Hospital, eat popsicles and watch the Jesse White Tumblers. Obviously, just a fantastic way to kick off summer. Now, that sounds like a lot of fun. Julie, how about you? What are you up to this weekend? Well, I am going to be at the University of Washington in one of their many gyms, locked away for three days of teenage volleyball. And I got to say, I'm actually pretty excited about it, despite the beautiful weather here. Well, that's great that your daughter plays volleyball, correct? Yeah, I'm not going just to watch other people, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Well, we're out of kids who march in the local parade, but we did have one kid graduate with his master's. Uh, So we're having a little celebration for him on Monday where everyone can tell him to get a job. So that'll be a lot of fun for him. It's a tough sell. You'll be waking up at 6 a.m. and working your ass off for the next 40 years until you qualify for Social Security and Medicare, assuming there is a Medicare. So uh, That'll be a great conversation. Big assumption. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Well, there is an FTC. So let's talk about the first thing the FTC did. And that was to announce on May 17th that it was expanding its investigation of pharmacy benefit managers. That investigation into the business practices of PBMs and whether those practices harm consumers began last June. And it covered the six biggest PBMs, including CVS Caremark, 
Express Scripts and OptumRx, the FTC now has expanded its investigation to cover Zinc Health Services and Ascent Health Services. Zinc and Ascent are group purchasing organizations that work for PBMs. They negotiate drug rebates for PBMs from drug manufacturers. Quite a tangled web on how drug prices are set. Uh, Dave, what's your reaction to the investigation expanding? Is the overall investigation warranted? And how do you think its ultimate conclusion will affect consumers? First, Dave, I love your reference to Sir Walter Scott's famous quote, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Exactly appropriate for what we're going to talk about today. Uh, By the way, tangentially, uh, one of Walter Scott's most famous books was Rob Roy. They turned it into an operetta in the 1890s. And a bartender at the Waldorf Astoria created a cocktail to celebrate and promote the opening of the show that still lives on today. So let's go have a Rob Roy. Oh, but I digress. So let's let's get to PBMs or what I like to call profiteering by market manipulation. See what I did there? <laughs> a nice transition. There's a war that rages between drug manufacturers and PBMs over who's really responsible for high drug prices. The answer to that question really depends on market leverage. For unique drugs, manufacturers can manipulate the prices through monopoly pricing. We saw that with Biogen and Autohelm. They were perfectly willing to push the Medicare trust fund into bankruptcy in exchange for high prices for a crappy drug. For more common drugs, The PBMs have the leverage because the drug manufacturers are desperate to get them into their formularies and receive some income for them. We're obviously talking about this second category of market manipulation and all kinds of mischief and market failure happen here. Rebates that act as bribes, red pricing, where PBMs receive more money from insurers than they pay the pharmacies for the drugs and they pocket the difference steerage to preferred pharmacies. So what's a drug manufacturer to do when the PBM holds all the cards? They pay to play and PBMs continue to scheme about how to make that happen. How bad is all this? We did an article recently that featured Mark Pinsley, the controller of Lehigh County, who worked in concert with the county's procurement officer to cut its annual drug spending by 40%. They did this by shifting from Express Scripts, who is a black belt in spread pricing, to one of the transparent PBMs, and voila, huge savings. What are GPOs like Zinc and Ascent? To me, they're just one more scheme to give the appearance of propriety while double dealing occurs in the back room. It reminds me of one of my favorite scenes from Dallas, the popular and long-running TV show about oil magnate J.R. Ewing. He was scheming to win an oil lease by bribing an official, and the official wasn't having any of it. And he said, J.R., how can you live with yourself? And his response was, you know, once you get past your integrity, the rest is a piece of cake. And that's kind of what's going on here with PBMs. Government is getting tired of all this price gouging and profiteering, and they're going after the PBMs. I'm sure there are going to be some fines. But what we really need are more places like Lehigh County to become better buyers of drugs and insist upon higher value for their purchasing. That's ultimately what will change the marketplace here. 
I will drink a Rob Roy to that response. Thanks, Dave. (laughs) A little later. A little later. All right, Julie. Any questions for Dave? Well, one comment, Dave. I think you know that we are partners with a company called Capital Rx that is actually working with a number of health systems that are finding better PBM solutions, more transparent ones that will lower costs for them and are actually putting their money where their mouth is. So there is some interesting market movement happening here, but this FTC investigation is incredibly important. Okay, so touching about the word formulary, because I was talking recently to our friend in common, Jan Berger, about what a bad word this has become. But it seems to me like we should be able to have formularies inspired by personalized medicine. Jan believes very strongly in this. So is this potential silver lining to really be able to focus on science and not negotiated prices? Well, the answer to that question is, of course, (laughs) PBM should direct consumers to the best drug for patients at the most competitive prices. And that's what transparent PBMs like the one you're working with can and should be doing. Uh, The fact that the current and biggest PBMs don't do that is a stain on the industry. And you've got shenanigans going on with drug manufacturers too, as I said before. And the, the combination of these behaviors is what enables Mark Cuban to create his new drug manufacturing company that has absolutely transparent pricing. The fact that Cuban can do this just speaks to the abject failure of the current healthcare marketplace to create value-based pricing for commodity drugs based on level field competition. So, you know, I'm all behind you, Jan, transparent PBMs, transparent drug manufacturers, anybody that helps to bring market discipline to the market failure that currently operates in the healthcare purchasing of pharmaceuticals. Yeah, nothing says we need change more than having fake formularies. That's that's great. Thanks, Dave. Now let's talk about something else the FTC did a day later on May 18th, and that's expand its PHI breach notification rules to cover digital health apps. The FTC proposed extending the breach rules to vendors of digital health apps and other connected medical devices that handle protected health information but are not covered by HIPAA. When there is a breach, which the rules define as an unauthorized acquisition of identifiable health information that occurs as a result of a data security breach or unauthorized disclosure, the vendor has a duty to notify individuals, the FTC, and the media. The expanded rules are proposed but likely to become final, and as you know, the FTC has been cracking down on unauthorized uses of PHI by digital health companies. Julie, what's your take on these proposed rules? Are they just a natural extension of where the market is going, or are they an overreach that will stifle innovation and harm consumers? Yeah, so when I read your question, Berta, it just seemed to me like, yes, these are both a sign of the times and will create greater barriers to entry for innovative solutions. I mean, they are bringing in a sledgehammer on this situation. But I thought if we played a little bit of a game, we would see how unbelievable it is that this is happening when it is. So here we go. Game ready? I'm ready. I love games. Great. In what year did Matthew Holt and Indusavaya launch the Health 2.0 conference? Hmm. 
I'm going to guess 2005. Okay. Should I do like a price is right thing and say 2006? Yes. Perfect. Okay. Wrong, but Bertie, you win. You're closer. It was 2007. Good job. Oh, come on. That's that's hand grenades. We're close. <laughs> All right. In what year did Jawbone's Up Fitness Tracker come out? Okay, you go first next. Ooh. 2012. Dave? Yeah, I, I had Jawbone. It's at least 10 years. I'm going to say 2013. <laughs> oh, 2011. <laughs> this is fun. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, this is an easy All one. Right. This will be the last one. Easier. In what year did the first generation Apple Watch come out? Don't Google, Dave. I'm going to say 2015. I'm going with 2019. Ooh, 2014. Bigger spread. <laughs> All right. All right. You got me there, Dave. Yes. Yes, baby. I win on points, I think. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you do, Dave, just by hair. So my point obviously is, We've been at this for a while now. I mean, 2007 is really the mark of enough digital health companies being in the market for a conference to start around it. Our fitness trackers come out in the early 10s. Fitbit was actually the first to market in 2009, truth be told. So all this allowed digital health apps to really come out fast after that, right? And then, you know, with technology, cloud storage is really becoming a thing. So now it's 2023. We've been at this for at least 15 years. We've witnessed over a decade of health data proliferation across, I mean, thousands of products, many of which have been largely seeking the holy grail of clinical data, many focused on gathering behavioral data around health, environmental data around health, and just this new territory of tracking health overall. I mean, I remember all those years ago when Eric Topol was claiming he invented the quantified self-movement. I mean... (laughs) That was crazy. So, I mean, more seriously, it's it's honestly hard to believe that we've made it this far without more regulation in this area on innovative companies with health data. So, yes, it's a natural extension of where the market's going, but innovation will definitely suffer and slow down if this rule passes. I mean, barriers, you know, will certainly be higher for creating safer products, greater investment to protect data, the liability protection for data breaches the cost of increased compliance. I mean, the list goes on. And while, of course, I think it's a win for consumers and it is a natural extension, it's it's a lot. Interesting take. That's great. Thanks, Julie. And great quiz. Dave, any questions for Julie? I'm still celebrating my victory. <laughs> oh, you'll be standing out in the parade now, won't you? Okay. Exactly. Big, big smile on my face. So, Julie, I'm with you. I know the industry can and should notify all appropriate parties when there have been data breaches. It's clearly the right thing to do. But at the same time, these expanded regs feel like sending in the fire brigade out to the house after it's already burned to the ground. As Ben Franklin wrote centuries ago to the citizens of Philadelphia about fire prevention, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Isn't there some way that new technologies and exactly the type of innovation you were talking about, maybe it's blockchain, can prevent breaches from occurring in the first place? Shouldn't that ounce of prevention be our ultimate goal? 
Well, I think I'm the last person you want to try to give some sort of answer to how technology could prevent this problem. But I will say that data breaches, whether you're in healthcare or not, I mean, that's got to be the CEO and the board and the executive team and, and frankly, the company. But it's their biggest nightmare, right? It's happening everywhere. Nobody wants it. It's a black mark on your brand. It's horrendous for your customers. It's potentially really bad for your business. So clearly with, you know, the tokenization of data and more safeguards, there are ways to prevent. But this is a a game for money now, Dave, right? And where there's money, (laughs) the evil will go. Very good. Yeah. J.R. Ewing, it will always be there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Thanks, Julie. The only thing I'll say is that it's too bad the FTC wasn't this aggressive in trying to stop hospital and health system mergers that raised prices without improving quality. So maybe I should invent a time machine and go back to 1983, and I'll take all this post-hospital merger research with me. Now, that might make a good Star Trek episode. Well, the three of us might watch it. So Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, two of us will watch it. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Dave, and thanks, Julie. Great discussion. Now let's briefly talk about other big healthcare news this week. Julie, what else happened this week that we should know about? Well, in the wake of Montana banning TikTok, I was so pleased and kind of stopped in my tracks to see our Surgeon General, the Murthy issue just an extraordinary public warning, 19 pages about the risks of social media to our young people and really urging a push to fully understand, you know, the potential for harm to mental health and well-being for our children. It's uh, you know, putting together, I think, what is now probably viewed as a lot of motherhood Neville pie, but to have our Surgeon General come out on this is a uh, You know, it's striking. Very important. See, the news wasn't all bad this week. Thanks, Julie. That's right. Dave, what other healthcare news is worth noting? Well, I just wanted to say Murthy may be the best surgeon general we've ever had in the United States. I mean, he just. I would agree with that. I'm going to go off script. After I met with Julie yesterday, I went over to spend the afternoon with our great friends, Deb Boyer and Tom Weeks. They were both part of our wedding party, oh, so many years ago. And Deb, earlier this month, had brain surgery to remove a large non-malignant tumor that was pressing up against her optic nerve and verbal part of the frontal lobe. And she looks just fantastic. So I'm just grateful for that. And while we were sitting at dinner, their son Mitchell and his girlfriend Sophie FaceTimed them. Uh, I just happened to be there with the announcement that they were getting married, showing the wedding ring and photographer there in the background. Anyway, they came by for a drink and, and the photographer was still there, snapped all the photos. And it just great moments for recovery and then combined with the wedding announcement. The news wasn't all bad, right, Dave, last week? This is great news. No, that is. And uh, congratulations to your friends. That's fantastic. Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Julie. And that is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.